But this is, uh, let's put our hands together for Pastor Benjamin Robinson. How many are happy to be in God's house tonight? Can you say amen? amen. Ushers, you can, oh, you are receiving the offering. Okay, great, go for it. Um, looks like a midget was using this music stand. That's good. Thank you. Lord, release growth hormone. In Jesus' name. A vertically challenged individual. I love Del Augusta. How many love Del Augusta? Del Augusta is awesome. You know, I get a lot of people in my church, they come, you know, you know, when people, they come and they say things like, you know, I'm not gossiping, but so-and-so said such-and-such to so-and-so. And when so-and-so said such-and-such to so-and-so, I'm not one to gossip, so you didn't hear it from me, but did you see the shoes that so-and-so was wearing yesterday? I'm not one to gossip, but gossip, 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 gossip. Dell does his own version of that. I'm not preaching, but... Now, when you say, when you say, I'm not preaching, but, and then turn to the crowd and say, I need you to say amen. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. <laughs> See, I got on Dell. I got on Dell. Last night was the first time I ever got to hear him preach. And I told him, I said, Dell, I was so pleased. The only thing that I was very disappointed by was you didn't cap on me. I said, because I'm going to cap on you. But now I, I'm going to look like a jerk for capping on you when you didn't cap on me. So you got to cap. So tomorrow night, you got to cap on me, okay? I, I, I want to hear some feedback. I love it. All right. I'm going to download it. I'm going I'm to look for it. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Um, open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. I'm, I'm going to preach out of that scary book of the Bible. And Dell started to talk about it last night. The book of Revelation is scary, isn't it? <laughs> my, my cousin, I, had a, I have a cousin that, that grew up in the inner city in Oakland, and he was a gangster, and he was a, a thug, and uh, he's still a thug. Um, even though he's 50 years old, he's a 50 year old thug. We were Christmas caroling with the church one Christmas and, uh, we, we were singing outside his window. He heard a commotion and came to the window with his gun. He had a nine millimeter in his hand. He opened the window. What's going Oh, sorry. It's just a church. He put that away. Uh, so that's, that's the kind of thug he was, but you know, he would tell me stories about how he robbed banks and how he, you know, I mean, I'm seriously, he robbed a bank. Um, and, uh, he got away. Yeah, he was that kind of a thug, right? Uh, you know, told me stories about how he, he, you know, he beat people up, nearly killed people, and, you know, all kinds, all of these nasty things that he did. And he told me, he said, when I was 16 years old, me and my buddy were in his garage, and all of a sudden we found a Bible, so we decided to read the book of Revelation. He said, by the seventh or eighth chapter, we were both trembling. And he said, I looked at my buddy and I said, if this is true, we're finished. And most believers, most people who open the book of Revelation, we read it with that in mind. Man, if this is true, we're finished. Why? Because we completely misunderstood what the book of Revelation is. We completely misunderstand what the book of Revelation is. Our minds naturally try to turn the book of Revelation into a horror movie. 
And so we go to the Revel- book of Revelation to ask questions about the end times, to find out about the beast, to find out about the bottomless pit, to find out about the scorpion or the serpent or the, the locusts and the, and the blood and, and the battle of Armageddon and, and, and folks dying and, and, and beasts with hose on them coming out of the water. And, and you know, uh, some of y'all got that. Others of you will get it on the way home. Um, And we think that it's the revelation of the Antichrist or the revelation of the beast or the revelation of the end times. And I'm here to tell you tonight that the book of Revelation is primarily not about the end times, not about the beast, not about the Antichrist, not about the bottomless pit, not about the final judgment, not about the lake of fire, not about any of that. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if you go to the book of Revelation looking for Jesus... You're going for the right reason. Because in the book of Revelation, Jesus is revealed like in no other book of the Bible. It is it comes right at the end because John wants to give us the clearest picture of Jesus that we could ever get from any part of the Bible. Amen. Amen. Now, of course, the number seven is very important in the book of Revelation. There are, and of course, seven is the number of perfection or the number of completion. Jesus writes, he gives uh, words to John to write letters to the seven churches. He stands in the midst of seven golden lampstands. He holds seven stars in his right hand, which are the seven spirits of God. And there's all kinds of sevens in the book of Revelation. But did you know there are seven visions of Jesus in the book of Revelation, meaning Jesus is perfectly seen, fully seen, completely seen in the book of Revelation. Now, well, the first thing that you need to understand is what Revelation is. The word in the Greek is apocalypsis. It means literally unveiling or uncovering or disclosing or breaking through. That which was hidden is now breaking out. It is now, that which is unseen is now becoming seen. That which was, was undetectable is now becoming detectable. But it, the book, the word revelation or the word apocalypsis is not just, um, it's not just, it's not just a, a nice term or a, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the type of, of unveiling that happens is a dynamic and violent unveiling rather than than an ice unveiling. In other words, it's not just a car is covered up and it's the new model that the company is wanting to reveal to the world and they just grab the cover and pull it off and suddenly you see the car. No, it's more than that. It's more of a collision. It's something that is completely and totally unexpected and all of a sudden, bam, it hits you out of nowhere. It comes from a direction that you were not expecting something to come from. And from the very beginning of the book of Revelation, it is about the collision with Jesus Christ. It is about colliding with Jesus. It's about coming into contact with His presence in a way that you never expected before, in a way that you never intended. You weren't looking for it, but all of a sudden, bam! You're colliding with the very presence and power of Jesus Christ. And John warns us. He says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. You're all going to collide with him. Listen, it doesn't matter if you like him, if you love him, if you believe in him, if you hate him, if you don't believe in him. Every single man, woman and child born on planet earth will one day collide with the powerful, glorious presence of Jesus Christ. And in that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are all set on a collision course with Jesus Christ. Every single human being. But John says, let me tell you about my collision. He said, I was on the, I was on the island of Patmos because of the testimony of Jesus. And he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now there's something very important there. He said, it was Sunday And I was the only believer on the island. 
Now, the island of Patmos was a prison island where John had been banished for life by Emperor Trajan because of his testimony of Jesus, because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was banished to this prison island. He had to do hard labor. And for the rest of his life, he was locked there and he was stuck there. He said, I was the only believer on this island, but it was Sunday morning. It was time to go to church. And it was no excuse that there were no other believers around. I I just don't get it that believers go on vacation and don't go to church. devil's talking about taking breaks. We love taking breaks from the presence. Oh, we were on vacation. Listen, I don't care where we are in the world. When is the Lord's day and it's time to worship? John said, I don't care if I'm in chains. I don't care if I've been beaten. Paul and Silas didn't care that they were down in a prison in Roman stocks and had been beaten. They said, it's time for us to get our praise and worship on. And John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It was time to go to church. And I did not care if there was not another believer there. See, the thing is, listen, I'm just going to take a little bit of a, 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 a just a, a side street here for a second. This is for free. Okay. This is for free. This is, this isn't covered by the honorarium. I'm just throwing this in there for free. Okay. Now, listen, there's, there's really three levels of operation in the life of the believer. First of all, there's observation. You come into contact with Jesus Christ, you join a community of faith, and all of a sudden, you simply observe the lives of those around you. You're observing those who are walking close with the Lord. You're observing their faithfulness. You're observing their character. You're observing their devotion to the Lord. You're observing the moving of the Spirit, those who are speaking in tongues. You're observing those who are laying hands on the sick and they're being healed. You're observing those who prophesy and speak the word of the Lord, and you observe and you go, wow. And, and most believers stay at that observation stage where they're simply watching everybody else be a Christian around them. They're simply watching, observing, watching everybody else, watching everybody else flow in the Spirit, going to church to hear, but never doing anything with what is heard. See, the problem with most believers in Jesus Christ is that we only hear with our ears. And God wants us to learn how to hear with our eyes and how to hear with our mouths. Follow me for a second. If you go a little bit further there in Revelation 1, John said, I heard a voice behind me like the sound of a trumpet, and I turned to see the voice that spoke. I turned to see the voice. He said, I wanted to hear it with my eyes, not just with my ears. I wanted to see the voice that spoke. And the problem is, most of us go to church, and we hear the word of the Lord, and we receive the word of the Lord, and we hear it, but we never turn to see it. And it doesn't transform you until you turn to see the voice of him who speaks. Are you hearing me today? Okay, we're going to come back to that in a second. So first of all, uh, there's observation. Secondly, there's participation. Now you're kind of stepping into the flow. You go to church and the person next to you gets a prophetic word. And hey, you got a prophetic word and you're sharing a prophetic word with somebody. Hey, I just was, and, you know, yesterday as I was driving home, the Spirit of the Lord gave me a word for you. And, you know, God said to tell you that... Um, you know, and, and you get a word and you're sharing and all of a sudden you step into the flow of the spirit and you're participating. You know, the person next to you is weeping during worship and you're weeping during worship. You know, and it, the, the spirit of God falls in the house. You know how to how to fall with the spirit. Right. You know, everybody's rolling around getting lint in their hair. You roll around and get a little lint in your hair, too. Right. Everybody's, you know, shunda my Honda, my high high, you know, whatever, you know, Rita my bow tie who stole my Honda. And and uh, and you got a Honda, too. Right? You know, if you need a new house and you want something small, it's e-condo. You know, I can need a condo. E-condo. You want something bigger? Mi casa, mi casa, mi casa. Mi casa, e-condo. Anyway. 
The problem is it doesn't work outside the house. See, when you're in the house and everybody else is doing it, you can step right into the flow and do it with everybody else, but it doesn't work outside of the house. It doesn't work on the street anymore. There's, there's no more song of worship. There's nowhere Paul said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You got the first part of that, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but when you leave the house, you don't know how to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. You know how to come into the external tabernacle of the house of God and worship, but you don't know how to walk in the internal tabernacle of the presence of God in your heart. And so it stays in the building. Your walk with God stays in the building. Your walk with God is, is when you're walking around the building of the church. And as long as you're walking in the four, four walls of the church, you're walking with God. But as soon as you walk out, you leave your walk with God in the building because you know how to participate, but you haven't come to that third place. And that third place is called impartation. Impartation is when God can pick you up and drop you in a country where you're the only believer and you will function in that country the same way you do in a spirit-filled house of fire. Where you not only know how to participate in it, but you know how to possess it. And when you possess it, it doesn't care who's a, it doesn't matter who's around you. It doesn't matter what happens outside of you. It's on the inside of your spirit and nothing can take it from you. Let the Antichrist and the beast come. Let come hell or hot water. I'm going to walk the same way today as I walked yesterday. That's the way Daniel walked, wasn't it? He said, if, if I have freedom and I'm, I'm in Nebuchadnezzar's house and I got authority, I'm going to pray. And if they threaten to kill me, I'm going to pray. And if you throw me in the lion's den, I'm going to pray. It doesn't matter to me what you say or what you do. I'm going to walk the same way. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and a black negro, I mean a bad negro, I mean a, a, a bad negro did. That, We're the intercessors. Pray against these demons that are tired. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, I don't care under, I don't care how hot he heats that furnace. We're not bowing down to that idol. I wouldn't bow down to that idol at church. I wouldn't bow down to that idol at Bible school. And I'm not going to bow down to that idol in Nebuchadnezzar's court. I don't care where I am. The external circumstances do not determine the internal character of my heart. But until you've gotten to that place of impartation, something outside can always change what's on the inside. But when you get to that place of impartation, all of the sudden the spirit on you comes on everyone around you instead of the spirit on them coming on you. I had a buddy, I had a, I had a buddy who used to get so nervous when he would preach that he'd faint, you know, and he would get up and, and, and the problem was he was so, you know, he was so passionate for God and he was so hungry for God to do something. He would fast for three days before he'd preach and he would get up there without eating. And I remember the first time I saw it, it was, it was the strangest thing in the world. He got up, said, brothers and friends, good to see you open your bible to and he was out i thought he was kidding the next day he told our bible college professor i'm standing right there he said yeah man you know i was supposed to preach and i passed out fell back hit my head busted it open and i was unconscious for a while they had to take me out take me to the doctors get me stitched up and somebody else had to preach and the professor looked at him and said tony you're not supposed to fall they're supposed to fall when you lay hands on them you got it mixed up. I was talking to my spiritual father one day and I told him, I said, you know, I was talking to this member of my church and she was so depressed. And by the end of that meeting, I was depressed. And he said, Benjamin, your spirit's supposed to come on her, not hers on you. 
Can you imagine Moses standing before the 70 elders and all of a sudden a spirit of contempt and uh, offense and, and all that stuff comes on Moses and instead of them prophesying, Moses starts prophesying by their spirit? <laughs> and so we get to that impartation phase and all of a sudden it doesn't matter what's happening around us. The only thing that matters is what's happening on the inside of us and nothing changes what's happening on the inside of me because God is my rock and my fortress and I will not be moved. I'm like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I bring forth my fruit in its season. My leaf also does not wither and whatever I do prospers and God can take you and put you anywhere in the world because you have developed a self-perpetuated, spiritually disciplined living relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Do I need to say that again? So you need a self-perpetuated, spiritually disciplined, living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's self-perpetuated because you don't need anybody to do it for you. You do it on your own. You don't need anybody to tell you to pray. I'm going to pray whether you tell me to pray. I don't need anybody to tell me to pray. I'm going to pray because it's self-perpetuated. It means the engine is on the inside, not on the outside. It means there's an internal locus of control, not an external locus of control. It means that I don't need a pastor to holler at me. It's like preaching in a black church. First time I preached in the church of God in Christ. See, I was telling somebody, somebody said, somebody said, well, how, what's the difference? I said, it's a big difference because when you're preaching to a Korean crowd or, or a white crowd or an Indonesian crowd, and we do a lot of ministry in Indonesia, uh, you're trying to hype up the crowd. But when you're preaching in the church of God in Christ, the crowd is trying to hype you up. Now imagine you're preaching and the crowd's louder than you are. First time I preached in the church of God in Christ, I'm 19 years old. I'm standing up on the platform. I start preaching. And the first thing I saw was the pastor's wife, the first lady, standing in the front row going, No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, he, he went there. To, no, he didn't go there. He went there. Oh, no, he didn't. Come on, baby. Pre- work it, baby. Work it. Work it, baby. Wait a minute. That's not the worst part of it. The preachers, wait a minute, the preachers, like 12 of them, were sitting behind me on the platform in thrones. Who's got a handkerchief? Who Give me a handkerchief. Now watch this, watch this. The pastor, I'm standing here trying to preach, and the pastor comes up behind me without me knowing it, and he's going, preach that boy, preach that, say that, say that, preach that. I started off talking. Open your Bibles with me to the book of... By the end of I was going, Say yes! Say yes! Where's my water at? When you have a self-perpetuated, spiritually disciplined, living relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't need any hype behind it. You don't need any hype behind it. You don't need anybody to break through. And you don't have to break through anything. You don't need anybody to... to... Help me out with this, please. Thank you. Okay, we're going to move on. We're trying to get to something here. So John, he's on the island of Patmos. He says, I'm in the spirit on the Lord's day because I don't care what's happening around me. What's happening inside me is just too real. And it's just too solid. 
I've been established in it. And because I'm firmly established in it, because I know what it is, because it's the Holy Ghost in fire and it's keeping me alive. I feel the same outside the church as I feel in the church. I was in the car with my wife and we were going to my parents' house um, the day after Thanksgiving to hang out with my family or the day before Thanksgiving. As we're driving, there's about a 30-minute drive to my parents' house. I had some worship music playing, mostly just to keep my daughter quiet in the back seat. We have a 17-month-old daughter, and uh, she's beautiful, 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 beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell, I'm, one day I'll come back and tell you the whole story of, of how, we, how she came into this world because it's a, a miracle story powerful story and wonderful story but uh so my daughter uh you know she's back there and she loves to sing and my daughter she she hasn't learned pitch but she's learned rhythm <laughs> now because she's black she's gonna learn pitch too <laughs> okay and she she can dance too but she went over to the table the other day and, and grabbed the, the pole of the table. And I said, no, my only goal is to keep her off the pole. <laughs> she starts dancing on that pole. I said, whoa, whoa, come here, baby, come here. <laughs> Look at my wife. Where'd she learn that? Only thing she's watched on TV is Elmo. So, I mean, you know, they got some pole dancing on Sesame Street these days. What's going on? So anyway, we're in the cars. We're driving over there. All of a sudden, uh, my wife just starts weeping out of nowhere. Now, you know, you know how crazy women are. They'd be getting all emotional and just for nothing. And, and at first, you know, when my come on, women, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh, oh like I'm like I'm lying or something. I'm going to be hating. I'm just telling the truth. Women are emotional. Now, I'm not against emotion, but one is for no reason. So, no, see, the problem is, <laughs> that would be okay if you understood it. <laughs> but half the time when women are crying, what are you crying about? I don't know. <laughs> So, so, um, um, so my wife is, my wife is sitting in the passenger side and the, and the, the worship is going and all of a sudden, I mean, we're just talking like this and all of a sudden she's crying <laughs> and I thought, Oh Lord, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? What I do? Cause half the time, if you're husband, you know, you get broadsided by stuff you did that you don't even realize you did. And then she's even madder that you don't know what you did. Because you should know without her having to tell you. You got to be clairvoyant or ultra prophetic to be a husband. The problem is the Lord just doesn't speak to me in that department for some reason. I get words of knowledge at church. I'm like, Lord, will you tell me what's wrong with this woman? Or what's wrong with me? What, you know, heal one of us. And so my wife's crying. I, I say, so what's wrong? What's wrong? And she turns to me. She goes, his presence is just so real. Oh, the glory. Oh, hallelujah. And she's crying and weeping and worshiping. And I'm kind of irritated. I'm just being real with you. You ever just not felt like being in God's presence? Just tell the truth. You just don't feel like praying. I've, you know, I've had so many experiences. I just don't feel like it. 
I was, at, I was at these people's house one day. My wife and I were having dinner with these people, and, and we were trying to leave. It was time to go. And I said, well, I guess we should go. And they said, well, can you pray for us? And I thought, oh, Lord. I'm just thinking, no, Lord, do I have to? And, and you know, I'm just, I'm just being real. I'm just being honest, right? So, Lord, you know, so I just changed the subject, you know. And then about 15 minutes later, I said, well, I guess we better go. They said, wait, you've got to pray for us. I said, oh, Lord. I said, uh, so how about those Lakers, huh? <laughs> you, know, you watch any good Korean videos lately? <laughs> Bread loving dreams? Kim Taco? <laughs> how many are watching The Fugitive Plan B right now? Anybody? Praise Jesus. I got a white witness right over there. No Koreans are watching that? <laughs> Is that over? Oh, it's over. That's why. Okay. See, on my soju, it's only episode 16 right now, so we're not, we're not done with it yet. MySoju.com, not real soju. Okay, anyway, but I'm supposed to be preaching right now. So messing me up. Okay, now, um, so we're in the car. My wife says the presence of God, and she's weeping, and she's in the glory, and she's in the presence, and I'm a little bit irritated. Oh, I was telling a story. We'll come back to that story. So we're at these people's house and I kept trying to get out of it so I didn't have to pray for these people because I wasn't feeling particularly reli- I wasn't feeling particularly spiritual at the time. And, and finally I realized they weren't going to let me off the hook. So I said, all right, come over here, sit on the couch. I'm thinking, Lord, let's get through this as painlessly as possible. And so uh, we start to pray and all of a sudden the atmosphere changed. The presence of God came. And all of a sudden I opened my eyes and I saw Jesus walk in. And he came over to the man. He stood next to him and he put his arm around him. And he smiled. And I said to him, I said, what you've been praying and asking the Lord for is a friend. And the Lord says, I've come to be that friend. He just broke and he just wept. That's called a collision with Jesus Christ. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't go looking for him, but he came looking for me. The first thing you need to understand about the collision of Jesus Christ is that you're not the one, you're not the initiator in the relationship. See, so many of us, we think God is an absentee father that we have to go chase down and find. We have to press into his presence and break into his house. And I, I don't know about you, but I've never broken into my father's house before. I have a key. And I've never pressed into his presence. Matter of fact, the thing about my father is that my father answers, answers the phone whenever I call. I mean, I could call him right now and he will answer the phone even though it's the middle of the night in California. My father will see my name and it's so important to him that he answers immediately. And I can't tell you how many times my father's answered the phone like this. Hello. I said, Dad, what's wrong? Oh, I'm at work. I'm in the middle of a meeting. Can I call you back? I go, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Call me back. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Now, you can't tell, you, you can't tell me that my earthly father loves me that much and wants my presence that much, but my heavenly father wants to put me in a maze and say, break through these 12 obstacles, fight these 18 demons, climb over this mountain, swim through this river, survive this obstacle course, Break into my presence and then we'll talk. He's the one pursuing you. And if there's any pursuit of him in you, it's because he was pursuing you first. You can't seek him unless he first sought you. So I'm in the car with my wife and my wife's crying. Now I can come back to that story. I thank the Lord because typically I start stories and I don't finish them. And I have 20 people come to me at the end of the service. So what happened to the guy? 
I'll say, now this, this scripture passage tells us four things. Number one, number two, number three. And you know, this reminds me of blah, blah, blah afterwards. What was the fourth point? <laughs> Happens to me all the time. I got the gift of distraction. So, um, my wife's crying and she's going, Lord, she's the presence of God, the presence of God, the presence. And she said, baby, do you feel the presence of God? And I said, uh, nope. <laughs> and then she just turned and starts weeping by herself. She's having her own Holy Ghost time. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you know? And what's playing on the radio? And my daughter's in the back seat. She got rhythm but not tone. So she's going. I learned so much about worship from my, my daughter. You know, I have the Aletheia song, and some of you remember from Niagara, I sang the Aletheia song to you. The Aletheia, my daughter's name is Aletheia. Aletheia, it means truth. And uh, so we have a, a million different songs that we've written for our daughter, and we sing them to her whenever she needs to be put to sleep. And, and oh, by, oh, by the way, this, this will bless you. Whenever she's the crankiest, we sing over her the most. See, some of you can't hear the voice of God the Father singing over you because you think you're too cranky and you think your, your lives are too out of whack and you're too disobedient and you're too rebellious. But the Father wants you to know that He sings over you more during those times. When it's time for her to sleep and rest in my arms, but she's fighting it, sometimes I wrestle her down. If you have a baby, you know when they get to that age where they just, they're fighting, but you know they're asleep, sometimes you've got to wrestle them down, and I sing to her. Because music soothes the savage beast. <laughs> she's a monster. So, uh, so my daughter's in the back seat doing that. Oh, and so at night when I sing the Aletheia song to her, it goes like this. Aletheia, now I wrote it, that's why it doesn't make any sense. But, <laughs> I use all eight Korean words that I know. It goes like this. Aletheia, saranga, kenchana, beangopa, choliowa, himduro, chareso, babya. Right. Right. So, so we sing that over and over and over and over and over and over again to her, you know. And so she's got the rhythm, but I'm singing the Aletheia song to her. Now she's gotten to the age where she sings the Appa song back to me. Now watch this. It goes just like this. And this is what that taught me about worship. What, you, what, you're singing to, what you're singing to the Father is elementary compared to what He's singing over you. We get so caught up in what we're singing. We're thinking, ooh, this is good. Ooh, this is awesome. Worship is awesome. Ooh, this is deep. And what we don't realize is that the Father is singing something so powerful over you, something so intricate over you, something so loving, something so amazing over you. And we're, we're, our ears are only open to hear the Appa song. All we hear is our little Appa, Appa. Yeah, I used to tease Dale because he does, you know, a lot of people do missionary dating where, you know, you're, you're a believer and you date, you try to date an unbeliever so that you can win them. Dale, Dale, wait, 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 check this out. <laughs> no, 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 wait, 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 wait. 
Dell, Dell gets his prophetic holler on. Come on. No, 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 seriously. He, no, hold on, check it out. He gets his prophetic holler on. He will pick out the most beautiful woman in the entire house, make sure she's single, say, stand up, the Lord wants to sing a song over you. You are beautiful. <laughs> you got to get me back tomorrow night. <laughs> this is what the Lord says to you. I love you. And you're beautiful. <laughs> and I am single. Oh, wait, that was I, not the Lord. <clears throat> okay, back to my story. Back to my story. Back to my story. <laughs> Don't be rushing me. We got to slow things down. We got the spirit of religion. I hate religion. <laughs> so we're in the car (laughs) we're in the car and my wife is is worshiping and she's weeping and she's having this powerful time in the presence of god and all of a sudden i stopped and i'm driving and my first thought was well good for her you know you ever have that thought you know you just see the person next especially when you get a fight when the person next to you gets a financial blessing but you needed one you know good for you you know Congrat, hallelujah. You ever have the person next to you get the word that you wanted? <laughs> the, the word of the Lord to you is you're going to find a husband next month. Oh, well, praise God. There's so much freedom in this house. I just love the freedom here. So that was my first thought. My first thought was good for her, you know, great. We were in the middle of a good conversation. Thanks a lot, Lord. But then here was my next thought. Lord, you're in this car right now and I'm completely ignoring you. Lord, you're in this car right now, but I'm completely ignoring you. And I pray, Lord, please forgive me for that. And would you change my experience right now and bring me into the awareness of your presence? Would you reveal to me the fact that you're in this car? Would you remove whatever callousness is over my heart? That's my, my wife's heart is open to your presence, but mine's closed to it. Would you open mine to it the way hers is open to it? And literally within two minutes, I, the glory of God was filling my soul. My eyes were full of tears and I was worshiping and weeping. And all of a sudden now my wife and I are one. We're enjoying this experience together. And we're having this powerful time of worship. And we didn't even want to get out of the car when we got to my parents' house because we were just too deep in the glory of the Lord. Lord, you're here, but I'm ignoring you. That's what Jacob said. He said, surely God is in this place. And I didn't know it. I wasn't aware of it. Listen, when you encounter the presence of God, when you collide with the presence of Jesus Christ, it's not when he comes. It's when you become aware of the fact that he's been there all the time, but you've been ignoring him. Listen, Jesus has been walking with you since before you were born. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He was there the day you were born, and he's been with you every moment and every day of your life. The day you got saved wasn't the day he came. It was the day you woke up to the fact that he was already there.
John said, I was on the island of Patmos because of the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a voice behind me like the sound of a trumpet. I heard a voice behind me like the sound of the trumpet. Now, first thing you need to understand is the voice was behind him. The Lord never speaks in the direction that you're going. You got to turn around. If you're going to catch what God is doing in your life in this season, what he's speaking to you in this season, what he is releasing in you and revealing in you in this season, you got to stop and turn around. It's not in front of you. It's behind you. It's not in the direction you're moving in. It's behind you. And responding to the voice of God always requires you to turn. You got to turn from something. And in the case of John, he had to turn away from his present predicament, from his present trial. He had to turn away from his present awareness of what he was walking through. He had to turn away from the fact that he was on an island simply for serving Jesus, that he was persecuted for his faith. And if you read the rest of Revelation, Jesus never says anything personal to John about him. Never says, I'm here to heal you because you've been faithful to me, John. And, and he doesn't give him any personal words. He doesn't answer any of his questions. Lord, when are you going to get me out of here? Why am I suffering so much? When are you going to heal me of this? I'm too old for this. I miss my family. I want to see my friends. God doesn't answer any of those questions because it's behind him. And the word of the Lord to many of you tonight is you got to turn away from that thing. And many of you have been carrying around this question mark. And the thing that hinders you from coming into your identity in Christ is that you've been carrying around this question mark about some hurt that happened to you in your youth, about some pain that happened to you in your childhood, about some trial, about some tribulation. You've been carrying around this God why and expecting God to come answer your why. And you're looking for the answer in front of you. But the voice is behind you and you got to turn away from that thing. But so many of us never come into a collision with the presence of Jesus Christ because we're not willing to turn away from that trial. Lord Jesus, I want you to speak to me over here and tell me why and heal me and, and, and answer my question. Solve my dilemma. Like Saul, he was looking for his donkeys and God wanted to make him a king. And many of us, we come to church looking for our donkeys. Hopefully the pastor can tell me how to find my lost donkeys. Hopefully the prophet will prophesy and tell me where my lost finances are, where my lost mate is, where my lost family members are, where my lost career is, where my lost education is. And the first thing Samuel said to Saul is it's not about the donkeys anymore. God wants to make you a king. And Jesus was behind John going, John, I got something more powerful for, powerful for you than the answer to your dilemma. I got something that's greater that transcends what you're going through now. And if I can just get you to turn your eyes away from that problem and look at me, I'm going to show you great and mighty things that you did not expect. Things that go beyond your lifetime. Things that go beyond your generation. Things that go beyond your family. He 
He said, I heard a voice that was like the sound of a trumpet. Trumpets were used for two different things in the ancient world. First of all, trumpets were used to assemble an army. If you looked up into the hills and you were a watchman on a wall and you look up in the hills and you saw an army coming against you and you saw at the head of that army somebody on a white horse, you knew they were coming to make war on your city and you grabbed a trumpet and you sounded that trumpet and a certain trumpet call meant that it was, a t- it was time for the people to gather and prepare themselves for war. The voice of Jesus comes as a sound of the trumpet and the first message to John before Jesus opens his mouth to speak the the sound of the trumpet comes and says John when you turn around you're going to begin to prepare my people for war secondly the trumpet was used to hail the coming of a king or the entrance of a king prepare yourself to receive a king that's coming into your city open up the gates sound the trumpet assemble the people tell them that the king is coming and Jesus says John you're going to prepare the people of God to receive their king behold he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him And John said, when I heard that sound of a trumpet, suddenly, suddenly, when I heard the sound of a trumpet, my problem didn't seem so meaningful anymore. Suddenly, the trouble I was in, suddenly I forgot about my donkeys. I forgot about my problems. I forgot about my island. I forgot about my banishment. I forgot about my suffering, what I went through that I didn't deserve. Why didn't God answer my prayer? My wife and I tried for eight years to have a child. I remember we were talking to one of a good friend of ours from childhood. And my wife and I... um, we're talking to her and we by this time it had been seven years that we had tried to conceive a child to no avail and we did every test I did I took everybody's advice everybody knows what the problem is what you got to do is lose about 15 pounds now does that make any sense to you <laughs> you got to do it in the dark does that make any sense hold her up by her feet you know I try we tried everything right <laughs> take a little neosporin before you go to bed drink this kind of tea we we did everything that everybody suggested nothing right we go get all the tests and everything and 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 uh i could tell you that story another time i i um i got a lot of stories by the way um and we're talking to one of our friends and uh she said so you guys still haven't been able to have a child my wife said no and she said uh, how long has it been and my wife said seven years and our friend said i resent god for that my wife said what she said i resent god for that I said, you resent God for that? She goes, yeah. You guys are servants of the Lord. You've done nothing but serve the Lord faithfully, and he won't give you a child. And yet these teenage kids who do it one time at a school, you know, picnic in the bushes, they get pregnant. And my wife looked at her and smiled. She said, you're telling me that he left his throne in heaven and came to earth and died on a bloody rugged cross stripped naked before the world on my behalf to redeem me from my sin reconcile me to his father and make me his daughter and make me an heir of his kingdom and destined me for glory in his kingdom forever and you resent him for not giving me a baby? Get your eyes up off of that problem. Turn your eyes away from it. It's not as big as you think it is. It's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger because you're so focused on it. And the thing that you focus on, listen, the scripture says, magnify the Lord with me. You're magnifying your trouble. You're walking around with a magnifying glass looking at your little tiny trouble. And you're taking it to Kinko's and blowing it up and blowing it up. Pretty soon it's the size of Dale's Bible. You know, that big old King James Version. 
I can't leave you alone. Okay. Lord, deliver me. In order to magnify the Lord, you cannot magnify the Lord and your problem at the same time. Jesus goes to the man at the pools of Bethesda and says, do you want to be made whole? And he says it in plain King James English. That's the language Jesus spoke, by the way. And instead of magnifying the Messiah who stood before him with healing in his wings, he began to magnify his problem. I have no one. Whenever the water is stirred, somebody else jumps in the water ahead of me and I don't have anybody to help me into the water. And Jesus doesn't even respond to his pity party. He says, stand up and walk. I'm not asking you about the water. You've got to turn away from it. You've got to turn away from it. All right. We're, we're coming in for a landing. Now I'm in Dell's court. No, now, now, you, now you got me to... Um, you, can, you got something to cap on me about tomorrow. When Pastor Benjamin says I'm coming in for a landing, it's like people saying I'm not gossiping. <laughs> I got four more closes? All right, praise Jesus. All right, I'm, just, I'm in submission. John said, I turned to see the voice of him who spoke. And when I turned, I saw one like a son of man standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. Why does he say one like a son of man? Well, in order to understand that prophecy, you've got to go back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel said, I had visions in the night. And in my visions, I saw... He said, I saw the, uh, thrones being set in their places. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. And he said, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And thousands upon thousands attended him. And the courts were open and the books were open and the court was set. He said, then I saw one like a son of man. Why does he call him one like a son of man? He, a son of man is simply a Hebrew idiom for man. He said, I saw one that looked like a man. It couldn't be a man, but he says it looked like a man. It looked like a man. He looked like a man. Anyway. Saturday Night Live. Okay. He said, I saw one like a son of man. He couldn't say it was a man. He said, it looked like a man, but it couldn't be a man. Why? Because he was riding on the clouds of heaven and only Yahweh rides a cloud mobile in the Old Testament. <laughs> he was brought into the presence of the Ancient of Days. The angels worshipped him. He was seated at the right hand of the Ancient of Days and he was given dominion and a kingdom and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is an everlasting dominion and Hebrew scholars of the Old Testament scratched their brains to try to figure out who is this son of man but Jesus says I am the son of man the one Daniel saw that you didn't know who he was how can he sit at God's right hand and be worshipped by the angels because I am that son of man and I am the son of God and when John says, I turned and I saw one like a son of man, he's saying, I saw the same one Daniel saw. He's saying, I saw the same one that died on the cross for our sins. He was in the beginning with God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. I saw that one. And he was standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. We know the seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches. Seven being a number of completion means it represents all the churches for all time that represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was standing in the midst of them, meaning he's standing in our midst tonight. 
It means that we've come to this place not to encounter a sermon, not to encounter a group of songs, but to encounter the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is standing in the midst of His churches. But so many of us are ignoring Him. Hmm. All right, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to skip all of this because there's a lot here. Robe down to His feet, meaning He's a priest. The priests of Israel had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel embroidered on their shoulders, meaning they're bearing their burdens. And he's wearing a priestly robe. It means he's bearing your burdens. The priests of Israel had a golden sash across their chest, and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were, 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 were written on this, on this gold breastplate. It means that, they, that he held Israel on his heart. He's a priest. You're on his heart, and you're on his shoulders. Mm. His head and hair were white like wool meaning infinite wisdom. A sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, and that's two words for sword in the Greek. One is a long sword, the other is a short sword. And this word is a short sword, a little short sword, but it was sharp, came out of his mouth. To cut somebody with a short sword, you got to get all up in their face. It means that when Jesus comes to cut you with his word, he gets all up in your grill. He, cuts, he stands right up in your face, right next to you, and he cuts you. He said his eyes were like a flame of fire. Meaning that the power of his sight and of his vision burns past every facade, burns past every wall. He sees down to the depths of your heart. He sees what's in your spirit. He knows who you are when you don't. He said his feet were like fine bronze refined in the fire. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's vision of that statue that had a, a gold head and a silver body and metal legs but clay feet. And then those clay feet were destroyed and it collapsed. And it said, this represents the kingdoms of the world. But the feet of Jesus are like fine bronze refined in a fire, meaning that his kingdom never ends. Of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. And he said his countenance was like the sun shining in, his face, in its strength. He was glorious. But then he said this, he said, when I saw him, I felt like a dead man. You know, the presence of Jesus Christ kills you before it makes you alive. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 4, four verse 20-something or another. He said, you were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off the old man that grows corrupt in its deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self that was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I was supposed to talk about identity tonight. This is the word I was trying to get to with identity tonight. <laughs> So many of us, we come to church and we come to conferences like this because we're looking for healing and we're looking for encouragement and we're looking for, we're looking for uh, um, reconciliation and we're looking for hope and we're looking for guidance and we're looking for destiny and we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to heal and, and we're trying to, to become better. The problem is we're trying to heal the wrong person. We're trying to heal the old man so often. We're trying to get that old man patched up and healed so we can go on with life as we want it. We're trying to reconcile the old man and encourage the old man. And we're trying to, to solve the problems of the old man. And the problem is that the old man is not fixable. He's incorrigible. you got to send him away. you got to put him off. 
And John said, when I came into the presence of Jesus and when I saw him, when I looked at him and I saw that his head and hair were white like wool, his eyes were like a flame of fire, his tongue was like a two-edged sword, his feet were like fine bronze, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his faith, in his strength, his presence killed me. I fell down like a dead man. And what happened in that moment when I fell down like a dead man was the old man was put off. The Ishmael was sent away. The flesh was put to death, as Paul would say. I put it off. I'm not trying to heal it or fix it or grieve over it or repent for it or cry for it or or bawl about it or complain about it or be ashamed about it anymore. I'm simply going to kill it and put it off. I'm done with it. The grace of God kills before it makes alive. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the struggle that we had on behalf of those of you in Laodicea. He said, but indeed we have sensed the sentence of death over our lives. He said, we have struggled far beyond our ability to endure. You ever hear people say, God will never put more on you than you can stand. He'll never give you more than you can handle. And that's the biggest lie. Because if God never gave you more than you could handle, you would always handle it. God always gives you more than you can handle it. Why? To teach you that you can only handle it in His strength. Paul said the struggle was so intense that we felt that we walked under the sentence of death. But then he says this, But these things came upon us so that our dependency might not be upon man but upon God who raises the dead. You want God to teach you that he can raise the dead? He's got to kill you first. Jesus would not have experienced the resurrection unless he had first died. So much what you're going through and what you've struggled through and what you've encountered and what you've suffered has been about the death of the old man. God says, I've got something that you're going to put off and I got something that you're going to put on. I got something that you're going to send away. And I got something that you're going to embrace. And you wondered, many of you have cried out, Lord, why won't you tell me who I am? Because I can't speak to the old man. He doesn't even speak to the old man. He doesn't talk to Ishmael. He only talks to Isaac. John, I got an answer for the struggle here in Patmos. I got an answer for every question that you're carrying around. And that answer is death. Look at me, John. And when he said, I saw him. I felt like a dead man. He said, but then he took me by my right hand. He said, John, don't be afraid. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am he who was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death and hell. I am here to give you life. I am here to lift you up out of the pit. I am here to set your foot on solid ground. I am here to reveal to you who you are. I am here to show you who I am. I am here to do great and mighty things. And many of you are like John at the beginning of this whole experience. It's the Lord's day and you're in the spirit. And you've heard a voice behind you, but you haven't turned to it yet. Nothing happens till you turn to that voice. The encounter begins when you turn to the voice. You're still fixated on what's gone wrong. 
I'm here to tell you tonight that for many of you here tonight, it's not going to be a process of forgiving that abusive parent. It's not going to be a process of dealing with that depression. It's not going to be a process. It's going to be a moment. A moment when, because see, it's the old self that's hurt. The new self is created to be like God. It can't be hurt. See, the fact of the matter is nobody can touch you. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the devil and no one will by any means hurt you. But the old self can be hurt because the old self is so fixated on the external and on the material. But the new self can't be hurt. It's created to be like God. It believes what he, it, he says, not what it sees. It believes what he says and, and it goes where he goes. There was, a, there was a creature in the book of Revelation that was covered with eyes and it had wings. Eyes represent the ability to see where God is going and wings represent the ability to go there with him. The new man is full of eyes and wings. It sees where God is going and it goes there with him. It hears what God is saying and it says it with him. The scripture, the, the scripture says in the prophet Amos said in Amos 3, 3, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? But in most of our churches around the world is the Lord has spoken, who will not cry? The Lord has spoken, who will not weep? And when you step into the new man, you're no longer crying in response to the word of the Lord, but you're standing up and proclaiming what the word of the Lord says. The scripture says the Lord spoke the word and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. And God has called us not simply to be a company of hearers, but a company of proclaimers who go forth and proclaim what thus saith the Lord. But the old man can't do that. Only the new man can do that. What do you do with the old man? How do you fix it? You can't. You put it off. You send it away. How do I do that? Well, you do it by faith. By faith, I send away the old man. You know who's struggling with that lust problem? It's the old man. You know who's confused about his gender identity? It's the old man. You know who's having trouble forgiving your mama? It's the old man. You know who's afraid to step out and do what God's called him to do? The old man. Lord, give me courage. And the Lord's saying, I can't give him courage. But there's a new man that I've already created for you. And he's created to be like God. He's created to be like God. Some of you tonight are going to be born again as if for the first time. You're going to be born all over again. See, the problem is you haven't met you yet. <laughs> Stand to your feet. Just lift up your hands to the Lord and just begin to worship Him right now.